to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Please be seated. In my 65 years of life, I have had some heroes that I have looked up to. Men and women that uh, had a profound influence on my life. In the past year, I've added two more to that list. Sean Rawl and Drake Pogue. You know, as I said Sunday night, our world is unfortunately getting more evil each year. But I am not pessimistic about the future of the church because I see a bright light in the church. I see young men like Sean and Drake who are boldly standing up for, for God and his word. So Drake, you're one of my heroes now and I appreciate you. I give to you Drake Polk. Good morning. It is great to be here with y'all this I enjoyed the singing very much, so it's great to be back here and hear all of y'all's voices. And also, thank you for that prayer wherever Mr. Tim went. That was wonderful. As you'll notice, this morning's PowerPoint presentation will be coming from Joshua chapter 22, verse number 5. That is Joshua 22, verse number 5. If you will be turning there with me. We'll read that one more time just to give a little background for what we're going to talk about. And I'm reading out of the King James Version, but that is the New King James. So it'll be a little bit different, but it's basically the same. Verse number five, But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, and to cleave unto him, and serve him with all of your heart and with all your soul. Let's also read, just before we get started, the previous chapter, verse 41 through 45. 41 through 45. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were forty and eight cities with their suburbs. These cities were every one of them with their suburbs round about them. Thus were all these cities. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers. By the way, this verse defeats premillennialism. He gave unto them all of the land. There is no more land that is left to be given to the people of Israel. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies unto their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. This morning is a very special day. First of all, we get to come together and we get to worship our Father, as we do every first day of the week. But this Sunday, we gather to commemorate these seniors in high school. And as they are going to fixing to go out into the world. I want them this morning to keep the things that are in this lesson 
in mind, as well as all the rest of us. During the time that the Israelites were traveling from Egypt to Canaan, they faced many battles in a variety of forms. Now these battles include mental, spiritual, and physical battles. Just very briefly, I'm going to list 12 of these uh, battles that would represent the 12 grades which these seniors have gone through and completed. First grade. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, the Lord was with them, and they won a great battle. When they came unto the waters of Marah, the Lord was with them, and they won a great battle. When they came to Rephidim and sought water, God was with them there too, and they won a great battle. When they fought with the Amalekites at Rephidim, God was with them, and they won a physical battle there. When they came to Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with them, and they won a great battle. Seventh grade, this is where everything changes. When they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, God was with them there too, and they won a great battle. When they, were in, when they came into the land of the Amorites and faced Og, the king of Bashan, and Sihon, king of the Amorites, Neither Sion or Og would let the Israelites pass through their land. But God was with them there too. And they won a great battle. When they camped at Gilgal and planned to take the land of well, the city of Jericho, God was with them and they won a great physical battle. When they proceeded to conquer all of the land of Canaan, God was with them through it all. And they won many great battles. They had won many great battles and invaded, conquered, and obtained all the land that was promised to them. Now let's read Joshua chapter 22, verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Then, only after they had taken all of the land that they were promised, only after they had gone through all of the battles that they were going to go through, did Joshua give his final advice. Point number one this morning. Take diligent heed. In the New King James, King James it reads careful, but in the King James it is diligent. Webster would define this word diligent as a steady application or a constant effort to accomplish a goal. Jude in Jude 3, he was very persistent. This is who we'll look at first this morning. Jude number 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to you unto the saints. Jude, he was very diligent in writing about the salvation, the common salvation and expected them to be just as diligent in seeking that salvation out. Philippians 2.12 Wherefore, my beloved, have ye always obeyed, not, in my not as in my presence only, but now how much more in my presence? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. A few passages that follow this one, 
speak about the Christians being the light of the world, a light in the midst of darkness. When we are diligent in seeking out our own salvation and doing what the Lord would have us to do, people will notice. They'll say, there's something different about you. Well, what is that difference? That difference is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are we called to be peculiar? For one purpose. It's the one purpose why humans are on the earth today. To show forth the praises of God. Let's also note 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 13, and the diligence of Paul to study the Word of God. Verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 Do thy diligence to come to me shortly. And skipping down to verse 13, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Now, these books and parchments would most likely have been the copies of the inspired scriptures written by the apostles. Question. If Paul, even inspired Apostle Paul, was diligent in studying the scriptures, what makes people today think that we don't have to? What makes people today think that this book is irrelevant? If even the Apostle Paul thought that he needed to study the Scriptures, we ought to as well. We can note here Ezra 7 verse 10. Ezra, he prepared his heart to do three things, to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and then to teach it. And also in Acts 17 verse 11, with the noble Bereans, what, what made them so noble? Well, in that, the fact that they studied the Scriptures daily. Ask yourself these following questions. You don't have to answer them, just to yourself. When was the last time that I opened God's Word outside of Sunday or Wednesday? When was the last time that I opened this book every day of the week? Or when was the last time that I sat down and studied the Word of God with my family. I want to challenge all of us, including myself, to spend 15 minutes every day, every day, in the Word of God. Just 15 minutes. And once you have made a habit of that, increase it to 30, and then an hour. Do this every day. If you're trying to get rid of a bad habit, the only way to get rid of a bad habit is to take that bad habit out and replace it with something else. What better to replace a bad habit with than studying the Word of God? We can also note 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10, in that Christians should always be diligent in acquiring the Christian graces. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10. Notice here, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, 
patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall never, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, for your 15 minutes of study every day, these are very good attributes to study in depth. We are to be seeking out all of these attributes. Based on Matthew 7, 7, 19, those who are unfruitful, where are they cast? They're cast into the fire. 2 Peter 1, verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, giving all diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Now this verse proves that one can fall from grace. Because if you could not, Peter would not have said to do these things so you would not fall. It's if you do these things, then you shall never fall. God, he works a lot in if then statements. Let's also note Hebrews 6, 11 through 10, and 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and that God is not unrighteous to for God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love, but we are to continue in the same diligence until the end. I want to combine these two verses, Hebrews 11, 6, um, 10, and 1 Corinthians 15, 58, together. I'm going to read them back to back. For God is not unrighteousness, unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Our second point this morning. We have seen that We are to take careful heed to do the commandments of the Lord. But we're also commanded to love the Lord our God. Just very quickly, I want to note John chapter 14 in that John, he was commonly referred to in the book of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And a lot can be drawn from the gospel gospel account of John concerning the love of Christ. I want to hone in on Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. We'll start about verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. This phrase, on this phrase, hangs the entirety of this book that we are to love our God first. Christ, he died. He came to this earth and he died for the mockers. He died for the one who spat in his face, for those who nailed his body to the cross. He died for them all. He died for all men. But more specifically, he died for you. All that he asks is that you are to love him and keep his commandments. Notice this, that simply saying the words, I love Jesus, is not enough. Love demands obedience, 
um, counterintuitive to the denominational views. Love demands obedience. We can see this principle in 1 John 3.18. 1 John 3.18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And John 14 verse 15 would say, if you love Christ, you'll do what? You'll keep his commandments. We should always have the attitude of Paul in that we will never do enough for the Lord. He has given us everything. God, he gave his son and Christ gave his life. Philippians 1, 21, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Point number three this morning, we are to walk in all his ways. 1 John 1, 7, the Christian walk is one that follows the path of Christ. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. We can almost see in this statement a picture of a heavy snowstorm falling on the ground. And a father and a son, a little son, about yea tall, going out into the snow. Well, the snow is about the height of the, about the, height of the sun. But where does the sun walk? Whose footsteps does the son walk in? His father's. We are to do the same with Christ, and that we are to walk in his very footsteps, not straying from the path of following Christ. We can also note that the Christian walk follows baptism. Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The act of baptism is the act that puts the follower of God into the place where God can save him. It is the final step of the process aside from living faithfully unto death, Revelation 2.10. We can also note in Romans 8 verses 1 and 2, that the Christian walk is walking after truth. Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, what is truth, one might ask? In today's world, we, we can't tell. People would say out in the even in our religious world, you can't know the truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Well, I'm here to tell you that is absolutely wrong. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. Also a familiar passage, Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What is truth, you might ask? This is truth. Christ is truth. We can also note in James 2, 17 through 20. Um, incorrect. Ephesians 2, 10. The Christian walk is after a walk of good works. 
Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We can also note in James chapter 2, verse 17 through 20, Even so faith, if it hath not works, being dead, is alone. Yea, man say that thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by thy works. Thou believest that God is one, thou doest well. The devils also believe and shudder. But thou wilt know, O, ma o vain man, that faith without works is dead. We can also note in Ephesians 4.1 that the Christian walk is a worthy walk. This point is very interesting. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. This word vocation is very, very interesting. Webster would define it such. Vocation, a person's employment or main occupation, especially regarded as particularly worthy and requiring great dedication. Christian is not merely a name that we wear. Even though it is an inspired name, it is not merely a name that we wear. It's our job. It is who we are. It is what should, should define every aspect of our lives and everything that we do. And note in Philippians 3.16, the Christian walk is according to the same rule. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk worthy by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Paul talked a lot about this subject in the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, in which he deals with division in the church, and that he wanted them to be joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. That's a theme throughout the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. Notice this. If we're all walking according to the same standard, what is that standard, by the way? The inspired word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. If we're all living by the same standard, then what direction do you think that the first century church would be going if they were living off this standard and the 21st century church would be going based off this standard? Well, they'd be going in the same way because there is only one standard. And if we live by this, we're going in the exact same way that the first century church was going. Point number four, we are to keep his commandments. If a person truly loves God and is walking in all of his ways, then keeping his commandments will follow. Notice in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he is setting out to find the, the meaning of life, life's purpose. Ecclesiastes 1.13, he sets out to do such. Ecclesiastes 2.1, he sought pleasure. Ecclesiastes 2.3-10, he sought wealth. He sought fame. He sought power and enjoyment. He, he sought after everything that he desired, anything he wanted, he got. He had everything. He had the whole world literally at his fingertips. And yet, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, we see his conclusion. 
his conclusion to the meaning of life is to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And that word duty is italicized in your Bibles. That means it is supplied by the translators. I think it's better read, it is the whole of man. It is man's purpose. It is why we are on this earth. Point number five, we are to cleave unto him. This means that we are not to be wavering, as in Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good. What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? According to James 1, 5 through 8, our faith is to be unwavering. Verse 5 through 8, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally. By the way, did you know that God is a liberal? He is a liberal in mercy, grace. And upbraideth not that it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith with nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We need to make sure that our faith is not wavering. Well, you ask, how do we do that? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. And actually we'll read about verse 9 through 11. If we are to be unwavering, we must build our lives on the foundation of Christ. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto thee, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But every man take heed to how he buildeth thereupon. For... Other foundation, for no other foundation can man let, lay that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. We can also note in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 7. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 7. To whom coming as unto living stones, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up and spiritual house, and holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but to them which be disobedient. And notice this, the opposite of belief is not unbelief. The opposite of belief is disobedience, as we can see here. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So many people be will miss service because they were offended. Maybe because they didn't want to get up that morning. Maybe because some just don't care. But we need to cleave unto him. And when we have the opportunity to learn more about him and praise him and worship him, we need to do so at every opportunity. And point number six, serve him 
with all your heart and with all your soul. If you're going to love the Lord, walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and cleave unto him, you must do it with all of your being, with everything that you have. There are three parts to man. Emotional, that deals with the heart. Spiritual, that deals with the soul. And intellectual, that deals with the mind. If we're to serve God, we are, use, we are to use all of our one intellect, as we can see in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Based on emotion, Ephesians 4.32. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And Revelation 2.10 spirituality. For none of those things which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. In conclusion this morning, why is all of this important? Why do we need to know that? Who cares? I'll tell you why it's important. Because right now, in these seniors' lives, right now, in the time of seniors and going into college or going out into the world, is the time that they can be lost. It is the time in their lives that the majority will be lost. We need to prevent that is the time when the majority of young people will fall away from the truth. Our children will go out into the world and forget who they are, they'll forget whose they are, and who they serve. Unless we instill in them early on the way they should go. Unless we do that, they will most likely fall away. Now I know that most of the seniors here, all of the seniors here, they live exemplary lives. But I want to challenge you parents, as these young ones are growing up and fixing to be seniors, it'll come sooner than you think, teach them the way they should go. Base your teaching on the Word of God. The reason primarily for their falling away is that they are convinced that they have their parents' faith. And then they get out into the world and find that they didn't ever have faith of their own. They only had their parents' faith. And that's just what it is, their parents' faith, not theirs. In order to continue, you, you seniors, you have to have your own faith. Just as sin cannot be inherited from your father or from your parents, neither can their salvation. You have to seek out your own salvation. When all of you go out into the world, some leaving home for college, some working and some not knowing where they're going yet, but it'll, it'll come soon enough. Read your Bible every day. Use those Bibles that you got this morning every day. Know the book. We are people of the book. We are called to be a peculiar people. So don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed to be peculiar. Don't be ashamed when people ask you, why are you so different? You're called to be different. We're all called to be different. 
we are not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Maybe this morning you're looking for purpose in your life. You're here and you've tried everything you can think of. Let's look at Solomon. He had everything. He tried everything. Yet what was his conclusion? To fear God and keep his commandments. And luckily, we do know the end of Solomon's story. And that is, again, to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man's purpose. The question remains, what has God commanded us to do? God has commanded us to hear the word, John 6, 45. He has commanded us to believe what we've heard, John 3, 16. He's commanded us to repent, Luke 13, 3, to turn back from the life of sin. The word repent, its definition is a number. It is not 360, it is 180. When you repent, you turn your back to sin and you walk no more in it. We're to confess that Christ is the very Son of God, the very gene of God, the very essence of who God is. Matthew 10, 32. And finally, we are to put on baptism, put on Christ in baptism, Mark 16, 16, washing away our sins. The worst thing that you could do this morning, the worst thing you could say is found in Acts 26, verse 28. Almost thou persuadest me to become, to be a Christian. Don't leave here not ready. Maybe you are already a Christian this morning. And you know that you have not been living the way that you ought. God will forgive, but only if you ask for forgiveness. Whatever your need be, won't you come now as we stand and sing for your encouragement?